0: Morning, Church, thank you, buddy, did a wonderful job. Take your Bibles, turn with me again, please. John chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 27. We live in America where apparently people will believe pretty much anything. For example, as many as 10% of Americans still believe that Elvis is alive 25% of Americans believe in reincarnation. 40% believe in extrasensory perception. 33% believe in ghosts. 25% believe in the existence of aliens. And 80% believe the U.S. government is hiding something. There might be a little something to that last one. All those things they believe... Without one shred of credible evidence, people will believe almost anything by faith alone except the most important thing of all, what the Bible says about Jesus. We return this morning to Jesus and his conversation with the Samaritan woman. Jesus and his disciples were traveling from Judea to Galilee and had made a stop by a well in Sychar, which is in Samaria. While the disciples have gone into town to secure something to eat, as Jesus sat by the well, a Samaritan woman came to draw water and he engaged her in conversation. He crossed racial, religious, religious, And gender barriers to bring her the good news that forgiveness of all her sins were possible. And in so doing, Jesus brought her face to face with her own sinful past when he asked her to go and get her husband. After dealing with her about her question as to the correct place to worship, Jesus now identifies himself as the Messiah in verse number 26. The decision that is placed before this woman is, was he or was he not the Messiah? It was up to her to decide. Although a few commentators question whether or not this woman really believed in Christ... The great majority believe that she did. How can we know? What evidence can we look for? What qualities might we find in her life to tell us the answer? Well, I'd like for us to take a closer look at the qualities of this woman's faith this morning. The new birth is known only by its effects. So I want you to note with me three signs of true Salvation, And we're going to pick up with a story in verse number 27. And at that point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men... Come and see a man who has told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Well, the first quality that I want to look at this morning in this woman's life, the qualities of a true believer, is a confession of faith in Christ. We begin by looking at the disciples and their amazement at what has transpired Just as or immediately after Jesus told this woman that he was the Messiah, the disciples returned from the village with the food that they have secured. John says, they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet, no one said, what do you seek and why are you talking with her? The amazement that they experienced, that they demonstrated, really comes from two sources. First of all, cultural conditioning, and secondly, a lack of understanding of what Jesus' mission was. Culturally, it was unthinkable that a Jewish man, much less a rabbi, would speak with a woman in public, much less a Samaritan woman and a Samaritan woman who had a bad reputation. I think it's worthy to note that in spite of the disciples' lack of understanding as to what Jesus was doing, they did not object, nor did they at this point question him. That may be because in the past they have questioned him too often, and they have ended up looking silly. But surely there is something here to learn for us as modern believers and followers of Jesus. And I think this is the point. When we come across something in the word of God or in the behavior of God that we do not understand, that we find puzzling, we should not murmur, but instead wait until he reveals the matter to us more clearly. The second thing that we see is, the decision of this woman, as she is faced with this decision, is he or is he not the Messiah? Now, we've been told that Jesus came unto his own people, the Jews, and he demonstrated his power through miracles and signs that proved his identity as the Messiah. In fact, John says in John chapter 1 verse 11, he came unto his own and they did not receive him. But here we're introduced to a woman, one of the hated race of Samaritans, who without miracles or any demonstration of power hears his words and believes. There are no miracles performed, no blind regain their sight, there are No other healings. There is no casting out of demons. No one is raised from the dead. Jesus simply tells her who he is and she believes. The woman went to the well that day to get enough water to last the day. She returned with enough spiritual water to last her for eternity. She got more than she even hoped for. She got saved. In physical life, the first sign that doctors want to hear is an infant's cry. The cry tells the doctor that oxygen has entered the lungs and that the baby has started to breathe. It is a sign of life. Many believe that the new birth is caused by our profession of faith. But in fact, it is just the opposite. Our confession of faith in Christ is a result of us being born again. Jesus stressed the importance of this sign when he said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. The Apostle Paul reiterated this truth when he wrote to the church of Rome in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into salvation James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary comments on this by saying some people think that they can be secret believers but the word of God never considers this as even a possibility first of all We have seen that she confessed her faith in Christ. Secondly, a changed life. The woman left her water pot. What does it mean that she left her water pot? The second characteristic of a true believer is a changed life. First of all, her understanding about Jesus changed. Notice how this woman's perception has changed. If you look back at verse 9... She refers to Jesus as a Jew. In verse 11, she uses a term of respect, calling him Sir. In verse 19, she sees Jesus as a prophet. And finally, in verse 29, she reaches the point that she calls him the Christ. So her understanding about Jesus has changed. Secondly, her determination about what is important has changed. The Samaritan woman came with the singular purpose of drawing water from the well. But she forsakes her water pot and she hurries back to the village. Many speculations are made in the commentaries about why this woman left her water pot behind. Perhaps it was a, had become a symbol of her shame. It reminded her that she had had to come in the middle of the day to get water in order to avoid the other women of the village. Or perhaps she left it because she knew that she was going to be coming back. Perhaps she thought that since Jesus had nothing with which to draw water that he might need it. Or in the excitement of the moment she just simply forgot it. But I think it's safe to assume that she was so excited that she couldn't wait to tell her village about Jesus. Carrying a heavy water pot would have slowed her down. And so she left it behind as she rushed to the village to tell everyone about her amazing encounter and conversation with the stranger who knew all about her. She forgets her mission to get water. She is different. And she wants others to experience that difference as well. Jesus always changes someone into something brand new. The Apostle Paul said it this way. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and those who are saved gain a new perspective. When Jack Eckert, the owner and founder of Eckert Drugs, was saved, the first thing he did was walk into one of his drugstores and walk down through the bookshelves, and when he saw the Playboys and Penthouse He had a new thought. He had seen it many times before and it never really bothered him, but now he saw them with new eyes. He was a Christian. He went back to his office and he called the president of the company. He said, I want you to take Playboy and Penthouse out of my stores. The president said, you can't really mean that, Mr. Eckert. We make $3 million a year off the sales of those books his reply was I said take them out of my stores and in 1700 stores across America one man's decision removed those magazines from the shelves because that man had given his life to Christ later Chuck Colson who was the one who led Mr. Eckert to faith in Jesus called him up and he asked him, he said, I want to use that story. Did you really do that because of your commitment to Christ? He said, Why else would I give away $3 million? The Lord just wouldn't let me off the hook. Through the influence of Jack Eckert, other drug chains did the same, and in a period of 12 months, 11,000 retail outlets in America removed Playboy and penthouse not because someone passed a law but because God wouldn't let one man off the hook salvation brings a change third and finally is the concern for the lost the last part of verse 28 says and she went her way into the city and said to the men come and see a man who told me all the things that I ever did Could this be the Christ? The third and final quality this woman was truly saved was her concern for the spiritual well-being of others. She could perhaps be excused for not being overly concerned about her neighbors after the way that she had been treated. The very reason that she went to the well in the heat of the day Was probably to do with the fact that she was shunned in polite company. The natural reaction for such rejection is resentment. Yet when this woman got saved, she showed her concern for her neighbor's salvation. The text says that she took the news to the men of the city. That must have been a little awkward. Some of these men knew her very well indeed. But she is now a different woman. And she wanted the ones who knew her best to see it first. One man observed, we need to understand that in that culture, the testimony of a woman, much less a woman with a bad reputation, was disregarded. The Jews would not even allow the testimony of a woman to be given in court. This woman was notorious in such a small village for her string of divorces and her current live-in boyfriend. Most of the men in the village would have avoided having contact with her at the risk of raising suspicions that they were wrongly involved with her. If word got back to their wives that they had spoken to this woman, they would have been in trouble when they got home. Yet they listened to her and responded to her invitation to go and see whether Jesus might be the Messiah. I want you to also notice that if it is real, there's a need to share our experience. In addition, those that experience being saved know that they are different and they want other people to hear about how Jesus has changed them. One such was a man whose name was Boris Cornfield. He was a surgeon, he worked in a hospital in a prison in the former Soviet Union. He was not on the staff of the prison. He was one of the prisoners. But his skill was so great that the Soviet authorities decided to put him to work in the prison hospital. We don't know what crime Dr. Cornfield was supposed to have committed, but he became a political prisoner in the Russian prison deep in Siberia in early nineteen fifties. While in the gulag, that's what they call the prisons, Dr. Cornfield met a Christian whose quiet faith and frequent reciting of the Lord's Prayer attracted the doctor's attention and interest. One day, while repairing a guard's artery that had been cut in a knifing incident, Dr. Cornfield seriously considered suturing the artery in such a way that the guard would slowly bleed to death at a later time. Then appalled... By his own hatred and and the violence he saw in his own heart, he found himself repeating the words of the Christian prisoner, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Dr. Cornfield had gradually come to see the sin in his own life, and his life was transformed by the grace of God. The Christian inmate who had witnessed to Dr. Cornfield was transferred to another gulag shortly thereafter, and Dr. Cornfield didn't have anyone to tell about his newfound faith. Shortly after he prayed that prayer, asking God for his forgiveness, Dr. Cornfield began to refuse to go along with some of the standard practices of the prison camp, and one day he even turned in one of the orderlies who had stolen food from a dying man. From that day on, he knew he was a marked man and his life was in danger. One day as the doctor was examining a patient who had been operated on for cancer, Cornfield began to describe to the patient what had happened to him. Once the tale began to spill out, Cornfield could not stop. Well into the night... He told his whole story of coming to faith in Jesus Christ and the difference God made in his life. The young patient awoke early the next morning to the sound of running feet. For you see, during the night, while Dr. Cornfield had slept, someone had crept up beside him and beaten him to death in his bed. The orderlies were carrying out the body of the doctor. Dr. Cornfield's testimony, however, did not die. That patient pondered the doctor's last impassioned words. As a result, he too became a Christian. He survived the concentration camp, and he went on to tell the world what he learned there. This man's name was Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Solzhenitsyn went on to write many books that were smuggled out of the Soviet Union that told the world about what was going on there. Horror after horror was revealed to the world that was shocked by the inhumanity of the Soviet system, which had murdered 65 million of their own people. Many scholars believe that Alexander Solzhenitsyn's writings were one of the first stirrings that resulted in the beginning of the end for the Soviet Union. The last thing I want you to note with me is her invitation, verse 29. She said, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She didn't know a lot. But what she didn't know... She didn't allow her to be stopped from sharing what she did know. Instead of being hindered by what she didn't know, she witnessed about what she did know. The man she had met at the well was a true prophet. And what's more, he had revealed himself as the long-awaited Messiah. Her invitation is simple. Come, And see. It is, in fact, the often repeated invitation of Scripture. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18 when he wrote, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. It would be the invitation given by the Lord to those who were worn and weary with this world when he said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It would be the words that the angel spoke to the confused disciples at the empty tomb. He is not here, for he is risen as he said come see the place where the Lord lay the final proof of her new birth first she was confessed her faith in Christ secondly she began to manifest a changed life and third she showed her concern for the spiritual well being of others by telling them about Jesus those same qualities should be evident at least in some measure in the lives of all who are born again by faith in Jesus Christ. But the truth this morning is if you should not gain heaven and instead face the fearsome wrath of God, it will not be because no invitation was given. No invitation was offered. God so loved the world that he sent his own son, his only son, to bear the penalty of man's sin and issue the invitation to come. If one does not come, it is not because no invitation was given. But this invitation extends only to this life. There will be no invitation. There will be no second chance after death. Let's pray. We are always amazed, Lord, to realize that you loved us enough to send your son, your only son, to allow him to take upon himself the sins of this world, and to pay for those sins through his death, through his blood. Lord, if there's just one person in this place today who has never availed himself of the opportunity to accept what Jesus has done, I pray that they might understand that they are truly sinners, just like the rest of us. That they can't save themselves, but that you've already done everything necessary for their salvation. All they must do is accept what Jesus has done, repent of their sins, accept the payment on the cross for their sins. That all of us uh, look at our lives and see that we express those qualities that we've seen in the Samaritan woman. Let us learn from her life and her faith. And Lord, help us to be good testimonies for you if we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.